This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Tonight's episode is episode number 10. Why me? Why not me? In this episode, as I promised earlier, I, I, I am going to conduct a question and answer session from questions that have been posed to me in various formats on the internet or in person about the podcast. And I'm going to hit some of my favorites or some of the questions that I think are most relevant. Before we begin, though, to, with tonight's episode, I do want to remind everybody that this is not an AA meeting, but it is a form of service in the recovery community that I deliver. I want it to be a compliment to your program. Certainly, if you're alone or you're suffering and this is what you got, then by all means, I hope you can take comfort with it. But I certainly encourage everyone to be sober, to not drink, to go to meetings, get a sponsor, and work the steps, and then when you're ready to sponsor other men and women. I'm not a therapist, and please don't let this podcast be a uh, placeholder for your mental health treatment or your medical needs. This is, is, is certainly not that. I've been through a lot of therapy, but but I'm not a therapist. And of course, and as always, um, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions and everything about the program and this podcast. So please respect my anonymity, and please don't try to out me or dox me in any way, I, I beg of you. Um, I certainly would be willing to meet anybody and discuss any aspect of this podcast or my recovery or the or recovery in general um, if we first are able to establish some lines of communication and trust. Anybody can call me or, I mean, excuse me, email me or, or message me on the interwebs with appropriate questions or comments and criticisms. I'll, I'll take everything. Um, I can be found at extravagant promises podcast at gmail.com or at extravagant promises podcast on Instagram. Those are both great ways to reach out to me. So without further ado, let's get into the Q and a in this tonight's session. Crossing the bar by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Sunset and evening's evening star and one clear call for me. And may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. But such a tide as moving seems asleep, too full for sound and foam, when that which drew from out the boundless deep turns again home. Twilight and evening bell, and after that the dark, and may there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. For though from out our born of time and place. The flood may bear me far. I hope to see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar. Like I said, tonight is episode 10, which is awesome. Um, and I'm glad to see a lot of listeners. I see the activity 
is is great on on Anchor, uh, the the app that I use to make this podcast. It it lets me know that people have listened. Um, by no means are we, uh, you know, we're in danger of beating any records on iTunes or anything like that. But we don't need to be. I mean, that's not what this is all about. This is about service. Um, like I've said, I will I will never accept any kind of remuneration for this podcast, nor will I solicit payment or, or, or support for it. This is my form of giving back. I hope that doesn't lessen the message. Um, and, and in, in fact shows my conviction and, and my commitment. Um, but anyway, um, this is not a commercial endeavor for me. This is something that is a labor of love and it's, I'm doing this to try to help other people. Um, and I hope that, uh, if you enjoy this, you will pass it on and, and hopefully get somebody else to listen, maybe just one person. And if you don't enjoy it, um, maybe send me a message and explain to me why and what I could do to make it better. I certainly invite that, and I appreciate everybody. So the first question is, um, I probably just spent a little bit of time going through that, but the first question was very simple. Why? Well, um, as I mentioned, being in the recovery community, a big part of the 12th step and, and frankly, the, the, the steps as it is, is service and delivering the message to other alcoholics and, and people who suffer. And I suffer daily and I'm, I, I go into the rooms to, to seek solace and to help my daily reprieve. But as I've heard it put to me, the, we all have the divine spark within us and that which lights it or that which flames it into a bonfire is certainly and without question the the sponsorship of other men for me and if you're a woman other women um i i think it's fairly traditional in aa and other 12-step programs that you don't sponsor men don't sponsor women women don't sponsor men i know that that's not universal um, it's just kind of how quote, I was raised in the program and, and, um, I certainly would want to help women in the program, but, but because of my past and in terms of the way that I, um, am committed to the program, I, I don't think that I would be, it would be appropriate for me to sponsor, um, a woman, but, um, I certainly would do everything I could to help men and women in the program. And I do sponsor other men and, this is one of the ways in which I give back to the community and help to get the message out. I like to talk. I like to share. I like to tell stories. I like to, to be a, a public speaker. And I thought about different topics, and I have other subject areas of my life and endeavors that I'm more proficient in, that I have more expertise in, that I have a lot greater body of knowledge in than recovery or substance abuse or addiction or depression or any of those things. But um, but I don't think I could be as valuable to the world and to the community as I could if I shared in this space. And so I found a great synergy is number one was an ability to do something I love, which is um, share my message. And number two is I could be of service. Like I said, I mean, my greatest hope is that there's someone sitting in an airport 
alone and just maybe maybe a little bit down. I hope not, but but maybe needs just a little bit of something to listen to other than other people getting drunk on a plane or in a in a bar, and um, and that this could help them. You know, just be something to listen to and maybe get some ideas or or share. So that's why. Question number two: uh, What do you do in real life? Well, I think those, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to answer that question because um, I, I am in the business world. I am active. I, I am not full time in the recovery community in terms of like my profession or anything. Um, I do have a job. I do have a business. Um, and in my business life, uh, the subject of recovery and AA or NA for some or any kind of anonymous 12 step program. Um, I, I would say that, that like most professions and most businesses, they have a, um, unhealthy, um, unidentified, very casual relationship with the recovery community. And I think whether you're talking about business, law enforcement, medicine, law, um, accounting, any of the professions, engineering, you know, they, they, they have a big problem, especially in the professions with substance abuse, suicide, alcoholism, um, and depression. And yet a lot of what is almost encouraged at an institutional and agency state regulatory level is a party, good old boy kind of party mentality. And, you know, no one wants an alcoholic as their doctor, but for some reason, um, the medical board, I don't think really wants to hear that a doctor is in AA or caduceus or some sort of recovery program. And I think that's, that's really abhorrent. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a don't ask, don't tell, you know, nobody wants an impaired physician, but nobody by the same token they, they, they don't want to know that you're in AA because that shows that you had a problem. You know, and that's just a real misnomer of the, of the entire world, I think, or a misunderstanding. Why do you have to be at rock bottom in order to go into the program? You know, do you have to be about to commit suicide in order to, to, to go to church? You know, what if, what if you, you may have a problem or what if you're depressed or what if you think, you know, the, the, the fellowship of the program is enough, you know, we encourage people to be sober, but we don't encourage people to go to AA or NA or any of the other 12 step programs in order to get serenity and to, and to work the program and to do good. You know, it's just, it shows a complete institutional lack of understanding of, the 12 step programs, but it shows a, a fundamental misperception of addiction, of depression, of substance abuse, of men and women who are professionals who have trained their whole lives to be at the very top of the academic world in order to train their whole lives to go into professions that are dog eat dog and very difficult, and then to practice their profession, whether it's medicine, law, engineering, architecture, accounting. You know, and, and, and all the difficulties and and yet to be and to and to woo clients and, and professional functions with copious amounts of drugs and alcohol 
and yet at the same time to be completely uh, 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 moderate and and without the need for twelve step and 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 so um, so I, I'm very transparent with those who know me about being sober. I'm transparent that I'm a friend of Bill W. Um, but no, I don't, I can't, I can't share what it is I do for a living because, you know, there are just too many, there are too many folks who don't get it. There are too many folks out there. And I hate saying that. I mean, my profession, like many professions has assistance programs and all this, and, and they are, in my opinion, garbage. Um, they, they, they are not, they're designed for the criminal, they're designed for the person who's in a lot of trouble, who's been stealing or using drugs from the hospital pharmacy or something like that, or is like their hands are shaking in surgery and they get caught. And um, and the assistance programs are designed to try to rehab that person professionally. And it's good for that, but they're certainly not friendly, in my opinion, to the professional who says, I want to be better. I want to be well. I want to treat my, I want to, through the use of the program and things like that, treat myself. Maybe I drink too much. Maybe I've never been accused of being an alcoholic. Maybe I've never had a DUI. Maybe I've never done anything illegal, but I don't think I'm my best. And maybe I think I, I drink too much, or maybe I'm, I, I, I want to drink too much. So maybe I want to go to, to this program and get some help. Well, State medical board, state architecture board, state law law bar, what you know, they don't they don't want to hear that. In my humble opinion, you know, they don't want that. Um, you know, it's 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 very uh, it's it's sad um, that that we don't celebrate sober politicians. That we don't celebrate, and and by sober, I don't mean like you know. Guys like Donald Trump who've never had a drink, you know, I'm talking about like we should celebrate people who are who 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 have the courage to say, I'm in the program, I'm sober and I'm in recovery, you know, and I love what it's done for my life. Now we know that you have to maintain anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film, so that's always you know, and we don't want to we don't want the celeb who's like, yeah, I'm sober, and then they go out and relapse, and you know, but at the same time, you know. Uh, we have a very unhealthy relationship in the professions and in business with alcohol and drugs, in my opinion, and in terms of and 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 we have a a very unhealthy relationship with um, with people who are trying to be in, in in recovery. I mean, I know that at at one level we say, "Oh, congratulations" and all this, but the truth of it is, is we look at we look at. I believe that people look at. Uh, alcoholics who are in recovery as losers or as as weak you know and that and ladies and gentlemen please know that is wrong and that is untrue i mean to me the great performance enhancing drug of all time is sobriety you know i can tell you i am so much better as a human being without drugs or booze going into my body you know the great the greatest uh, 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 little, you know, size, shape, pill, or whatever you want to say, or device that's the biggest performance PED for businessmen and women and all is the cap that you put on the bottle and leave it on the shelf, you know? So that's uh, my answer to what I do in real life.
Um, and I, and I hope that that doesn't turn anybody off. It's just, you know, I just don't, I haven't gotten to a place where I feel that publicly, um, you know, we, we want to know whether our doctors, our lawyers, our architects, engineers, accountants, whatever professions and businessmen and women that we want to know that they're in recovery. You know, we certainly won't want to see them falling down drunk, but, but, but we don't have the courage ourselves to say as a society or as, as those professions, like, actually you're stronger than me. Actually you're, you're, wow, you're walking your talk. You know, you know what it's like to suffer and you're, and you're, you're a beautiful, sober person. So, you know, um, that's kind of, that's kind of my take on that. All right. Question number three, how did you do it? Um, I've, I've addressed this in a couple of the podcasts, but you know, there, there are a few things that go into it. Obviously you've heard me say this a bunch of times, um, faith, discipline, and pride, but really I'd say the number one thing that, that I did that, um, yeah, I'd say there were probably three components. First is, you know, the, the idea of faith, discipline, and pride faith that I didn't, I, I did not have a relationship with a, excuse me, higher power or God of my understanding. But I had a deep, I had a deep belief that there was something and that there was medicine in the rooms and that something was out there and that I would, I could get it if I did what they did. I had that faith discipline. You know, I made promises and I kept them. And the promises were number one, do not drink. Number two, you know, it's pretty much whatever else, but number one, don't, don't drink. And, um, I followed, you know, I, I, I set rules and I followed them. And then number three was pride. Cause I was like, you know, I'm not done yet. I got some fight left in me. And, um, I was so depressed and I was so down, down on myself and all this. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go through this crucible, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to, I'm going to park myself in, um, in the sober parking space. And I'm going to see what my life looks like with that. And, you know, it's been unbelievable. Um, do I face challenges as you've heard? Of course, numerous challenges, some of them backbreaking, but you know, you just sit there and you back up and you go, you know, I got a, I got a roof over my head. I got a car in the driveway. I got food on the table. I mean, nothing's going away. I can, I can overcome this as long as I stay sober. Um, but the second thing was, and this is probably the biggest element, I encourage everybody to do this in their life for lots of different areas of life, is I redefined success. Or in my case, I think I just defined it. You know, I have been an extremely successful person in almost everything I've ever done except life. You know, like like I was winning, you know, Charlie Sheen winning, you know, like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm. You get the girl, you get the award, the trophy, the the good grades, the whatever. But I was losing the game of life, you know, just so unhappy and just not not enjoying everything. Was it was black and white, and food tastes like cardboard, and I just I I couldn't get around it. But then I started to redefine success, and I was like, okay, from here on out, success is a binary plus one or zero. That's it. Plus one is I didn't drink today. Zero was I did. And everything starts over. And you know, the truth of it is, is in, in all the days, you know, I haven't had a drink. I've, I've been good. You know, I've, I've stayed the course and 
that's how I redefine success. And, and you know, what's crazy is the amazing amount of successes that have come my way because I've been so disciplined about that. You know, that one little success, it's like everything else fell into place. Ladies and gentlemen, try it, try it, give yourself an honest try. You know, like you could be, you could say, get to a thousand days and you say, Hey, I didn't drink for a thousand days and I worked the steps. I worked the program and your life hadn't gotten better. Give me a call, you know, give me an email and let's talk about it. I've never met a person who says I went to meetings. I didn't drink. I did what they said. And my life got worse. And I have never met a person who said, you know what? I quit going to meetings. I started drinking or whatever. And my life got better. You know, boy, I'll tell you what, things were going really great for me. And so I started doing cocaine and you know what? They started getting even better. Said no one ever. Um, boy, I was down, man. I was, I, you know, I'd gotten hit by that right hand to the chin and I was down on the canvas. So you know what? I started drinking, drinking more, doing whatever. And you know what, man, I got up off the canvas and things got, but said no one ever, you know, I quit going to meetings and my life got better. Said no one ever. Um, you know, the deal, you know, the deal, come on. We know the deal. This is a unbelievable life for us. You know, don't, you know, they talk about your neuroscience or the synapses and your, uh, uh, this, this chemicals or hormones, or I don't know what, what you call it. Some sort of magic juice in your brain called serotonin and dopamine and those kinds of things. And they're, Serotonin reuptake inhibitors and things that prevent your neurons from firing or your neuro your your neurological synapses from connecting where they want them to connect. I don't really understand it. All I know is that booze and drugs and and all these things they they're they're like wrapping your soul in a giant uh, Tempur-Pedic mattress and saying like. Don't let, or or putting it in a lead case and being like, don't let any of the God rays come through, you know, booze, drugs, depression, all that soul sickness. It just makes you sicker. And you know what? It takes you further away from God and, and your higher power or, 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 or whatever you're looking for out there, the force, whatever, you know, I don't know why, you know, like I, I don't understand necessarily why, um, you know, Atheism, I don't think, I'm not an atheist, so I really have no experience or knowledge to speak on this, but I don't know if, if if, if you're atheist or agnostic, if you deny that there's like certain, um, human or chemical type of, of interactions, um, you know, like, does it mean that if you can't see it or prove it, that it's therefore supernatural and religious, or is it possible there are supernatural meaning of our understanding right now, things that happen? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that, you know, babies die if they're not touched. I don't think anybody's been able to explain that one, but that's just the way it is. You know, I don't know how beehives work, how they communicate. I don't know all this stuff about trees actually can talk to each other. I don't know how that works, but I know that it's true. And I believe that it's true. 
And I do believe that there's like a cosmic energy and a, and a, and a beautiful, a universe, their universal truths and things like that. And I believe that there is a, like a gel that connects us to ourselves and to our past and our future. And, and I know I'm getting all touchy feely here, kind of, you know, somebody's going to send me crystals or, you know, bumper stickers, you know, for my car, um, which I don't have, by the way. Um, That'd be a good queen. What bumper stickers do you have on the car? Nothing. Um, <laughs> what kind of car do you drive? I drive a, a 2018 Mercedes AMG GT. And it is awesome. And I gave it to myself for my 50th birthday. And um, uh, it's not a midlife crisis because you can't be early life and have one of those, I think. Um, if you do, you, you haven't earned it. I earned it. And I love it. Anyway, sorry to get off topic there. But um, yeah, how'd I do it? I redefined success. You know, success was don't drink today and and string string those plus ones together. That's, that's you know. All right, uh, next question. Um, you've heard me talk about how I have kids. Um, and I do want to do a podcast where I focus on kids and my promises that I made to my kids when they were born, you know, um, kids and AA and addiction, there's a lot there and that's a huge topic. Um, yeah, I think, I think most of that I'm going to need to leave for another, another episode. But, um, what I will say is this, is that, you know, I had some, I had, when my daughters were born, I have two daughters, um, and, uh, and when they were, they are, they are the loves of my life and they are the, they are the, they are my raison d'etre. Um, and, um, they're so beautiful and, and amazing and perfect in my eyes. Um, but you know, they, they caused me a lot of heartache here and there and I have caused them a lot of heartache. You know, I did some things that I've made amends about, but you know, I don't know, um, However, uh, when they were born, um, I basically made three promises to them. Number one was that I love you and I will never, ever stop loving you, period. Number two, I will never hit you. I may be mad as hell. I may, I may want to, you know hit myself, you know, but I will never lay a hand on you. I was struck viciously as a child. Um, some could say it was uh, child abuse. I think most would. Some would say just aggressive parenting. What, what do we call it? The torture and the enhanced interrogation skills, enhanced parenting skills, um, uh, techniques, um, making you hang naked from a bunk bed while someone whipped you. I don't think qualifies as enhanced parenting techniques. I think that's child abuse. That's what happened to me. Um, things like that. Being told if I was gay, I'd be disowned. Being slapped in the face full force, open hand, in front of people, in private. Um, I, don't, I don't know why, um, but I don't condemn people who want to spank their children. I know they're 
lots and lots of generations out there that say it's a good idea. That's fine. My problem was I was struck as a child and it hurt me and it damaged me. And I just felt that I could never, I could never do it. I could never justify it. Um, and you know, they say spoil or spare the rod, spoil the child. Okay, fuck it. I'll, I'll, I'll spoil the child. I'm gonna go for that, that option. Thank you, Alex Trebek. Uh, I'm going to say, what is spoil the child? Um, I'm going to take that answer (laughs) because I just, I just could never trust myself. I thought, you know, I would never know if I was hitting them in anger or I was hitting them because this is what you do to discipline them. I just couldn't do it. I could never, ever. I, I, I wanted to be able to say that there are very few things that I've fucked up in my life. There are very few promises I actually kept, but that's one that I was like, I will never raise my hand to my child at all. No reason could justify it in my mind. So that's a promise that I made, and I've kept that. You know, one of them's about to turn 18 years old. I'm very proud of that. The third thing was that I'd say, if I have, if I have a dime left in my pocket, I'm gonna, it's, it's available for you. My resources, whatever I can, I will always, you get a convicted, you get accused of murder, I will come to your trial. I will never back down on you. Now, I know that that, that can raise some problems with addiction and things like that. And, and that may, you know, that may get tested at some point, but, um, hopefully not. But, um, but my point was that, um, I will love you no matter what, no matter what you are, no matter who you become, no matter what you do. You know, I would really love it if you'd never hurt anybody. You know, if you intentionally hurt somebody, we're going to have a problem, but it will not make me stop loving you. You know, I was, I was raised under, under the idea that, that we had like a set of rules or conditions upon which love would be granted. And, and, you know, another form of, of, of kind of, I think is unfortunate is it those rules always changed. You know, it wasn't like, well, if you do this, I'll love you and you do that. And it's like, okay, I I won that. Right. You know, and it's like, no, now it's a different set or maybe I'll change my mind. Um, so, you know, it's very important for me, for my girls to know that I love them unconditionally. They could be anything. I I could be angry with them and I say, I'm really disappointed in you. And I can say like, I I hate how you do this. It bothers me. But, but it's important that I reiterate that over and over again is that, I absolutely love you with my all my heart. I knew when they were born, I would not hesitate to lay down my life for them. I love them so much that I was like, I will, I would gladly give my life to save them, to 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 or or to try to save them. There was not even not even a question in my mind um, that I would do that. Now, in terms of the program, um, I I was very. Clear, you know, I, it was funny because when I first started thinking about going in the rooms and I was checking it out, um, you know, my ex uh, heard about it. Isn't that funny? You know, it's like it's it's interesting that like the 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 times that my anonymity has been breached um, both involved my ex-wife and um, very mean spirited the way it happened in both occasions. Um, but uh my ex, um, I don't know, she heard that I had been at a meeting and, um, and she confronted me about it, very, very vulgar. I don't know if she'd been drinking. She probably had. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm think, I'd, you know, I hadn't really gone in yet, but I was definitely thinking about it. And I'd gone to check it out and, you know, and, and she's like, what, what's this I hear about you? You know, we weren't even divorced yet. I don't think, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty early on in our separation and, 
you know, what's this I hear about you going, you know, and, and ridiculing me about it, even though her mo- her own mother died of alcoholism and, uh, you know, but wow, you know, I was, uh, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And the girls were kind of looking at me and, and I said, well, you know, it's private. I'm checking it out. And, you know, and then when I went in, I just, I decided that I wasn't going to hide it. I wasn't going to be anonymous about it in to the people close to me. Um, I would be open about it. Just be like, yeah, I'm doing it. And, um, you know, my brother asked me, are you doing that? Are you, are you really committing? You know, are you really going to do this? And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. It's, it's, it's my life now. I think this is what I need to do. And, um, you know, uh, I got some pushback from the ex at that, even then, you know, uh, um, telling me that, you know, I should keep it away from the girls and I don't need to be dropping that on them. And, you know, and I think that's bullshit. I think, I think the best gift you can give a child is sobriety or one of the best gifts. I think you can tell, I love you and I'm going to go be sober. So, you, you know, and obviously as you may have heard of me, my ex is an alcoholic. Um, she claims to be in recovery right now. So good, you know, um, since I'm maintaining my anonymity, I'm maintaining hers, but, um, you know, multiple stints in rehab and all that. And so, you know, I feel that being sober, you know, there, there are three parts to, to the gift that I'm giving my kids with that. It's number one is, you know, I'm sober and, 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 and my kids know it. And so they don't have to worry about me, you know? Um, and number two is, um, you know, there's that aspect of like, I'm, 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 they know it works. I've taken them to meetings. I, I've introduced them to my sponsor, you know, like, hey, this is, you know, this is how I walk this path now. You know, you're part of my family. You're part of my inner circle. You're part of my accountability circle. So, you know, I, and I'm sure people take issue with that, but the idea is I'm not bullshitting around and saying, Oh yeah, I went to a meeting when I didn't, or let me ask if my sponsor will let you know. You know, I'm like, no, this is the name of my sponsor. This is how to get in touch with him. If he wants you to talk to him, that's fine. But you know, I'm not, I'm not keeping secrets from my kids. Come with me to a meeting. See how many people recognize me. See how many people say, Hey, I want you to, I want you to know it works. I want you to know that. And then the third thing is, I want you to know that when this disease, when it's long, witch-like fingers with its long nails when it comes scratching on your door or when those tentacles when that octopus gets its tentacles around your legs or when the kudzu vine is starting to creep around your soul you know you have this sword you know that this mighty sword that works it's called aa and you'll never have to be alone again and you never have to drink again and it works and your life can be beautiful i want them to know that and they do so that's how I address the kids part. But there's a lot there with parenting and kids. And really the big thing is codependency. You know, boy, um, you know, Melanie Beatty, wherever you are, I, I love you. You're a beautiful writer. Codependent No More is one of the greatest books ever written for, for people like me. Um, encourage it. Maybe we'll do a podcast about that. Um, but The Language of Letting Go, interestingly, my sponsor and another one of my angels gave me that book early in recovery and then more of the language letting go. I mean, just beautiful books. I love them. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So next question, 
jujitsu dot 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 <laughs> all right um so as i've mentioned in past shows um i am a practitioner in the martial art of brazilian jiu-jitsu or just jiu-jitsu um uh, okay where do i begin um i would say that that you know that i love what i do for a living i believe it was my calling um, I believe it's what I'm, I'm really good at it and I'm really in love with it after 25 years of doing it. Um, you know, this spring marked my 25th year since my graduation from professional school and, um, and I still love it. There are things that I hate about the other people in, in my profession and the business of it, but I still, I still love what I do. You know, I love being what I am in that world. You know, as hard as it is and as many lumps as I take, it's, uh, it's, it's just so cool. It's like a, it's, a, and, and it's like, it's, it's like the other two pillars in my life. You know, the other two things in my life that are, you know, aside from my children, of course, that are like that are Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they, they, they both to me are like, um, so let me, let me kind of give you an example, you know, through an anecdote and a bunch, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, when, when my ex was pregnant with my daughter, um, we didn't know boy or girl. We just knew that at the time snowboarding was very popular and, um, I liked to ski. I was a pretty good skier, you know, for like a once a year kind of guy, but I was pretty decent at it. But I thought, you know, kids are going to want to snowboard. And so I'm going to go ahead and be the cool dad who learns how to snowboard and then we can do it together, you know? So I started snowboarding and the thing that I loved about snowboarding was I got to be a beginner at something again. You know, I didn't have any bandwidth of like history of being like, you know, expert or I only can snow ski on this mount, you know, any of that. It was like the entire mountain opened up to me again. And it was like learning to read or, you know, or listening to let it bleed for the first time. You're like, man, this is awesome. I got this whole thing now. And I love that about that sport. And, um, but really jujitsu is like that. It's just, it, it is like human chess, chess match every time. And because you have this other being you have to deal with, it's, it's both, um, you, you get both the intimate, human contact with an, with an opponent. Um, but also you're trying to tear each other's heads off. So it's just, I, I, it's incredible. The other, the, you know, the third thing was AA and, 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 and what I say about jujitsu and what I say about AA are the same thing as I say about my profession, but really those two, um, even more so, which is it's, it's the song amazing grace. I once was blind and now I see, how, how do you say that about a I can see it with AA, man. You, you were blind drunk. Now you, no, 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 no. I was blind with soul sickness. And as I read the big book, you could read the book, big book a hundred times and there's going to be something new you see in it. You go to a hundred meetings, you're, there's going to, you're still a novice. And it's like, man, I get to figure this shit out all over again. And that is what's so cool about the program and about sobriety is you're just like, how cool is this to like check it out? 
and to really see what your body's capable of and to see what your mind is capable of and, and what God and to connect to God or a higher power, God of your understanding or good orderly direction, whatever. Just give it a shot. But jujitsu is like that. It is just so freaking cool. You know, and it's it's violent, but it's not. It's called the gentle art, arte suave, or something like that in Brazilian. And it's like the gentle art. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just like, you know, it's kind of one of those things like, it's like in the movie Fight Club where they kind of nod at each other. Like you just, you know, when you see a woman or a man who does jujitsu, it's like you can just tell who they are. It's like being in the program, like the friend of Bill. You just kind of know, like this person, you know, there might be a little word or something, or you can see their look, you know, it's just, and um, it's awesome. It's it's a great martial art. Um, you know, there's there, there, there are several aspects of it that make it phenomenal. Number one is... Um, it is sort of the culture. It, it, it's getting more formal and it's getting more bow to your sensei and all that stuff. And sport jujitsu has certainly impacted that with rules and and um, and points and things. But but the the raw uh, art, the raw you know martial art and fighting of jujitsu is um, still very much like surfing. You know, yeah, are there going to be mat bullies and bullies out on, you know, surf Nazis or whatever? Sure. But, you know, they get pretty much taken care of by the collective consciousness. But you go on the mat, there's, you know, it's very informal, but it's very much like there's an understanding, an unwritten contract. Like you kind of have an agreement with your opponent about what you're going to do and where, how hard you're going to go or whatever. And, and, and you roll. It's called rolling. You know, you roll around on the ground and you wrestle and you grapple and you try to kill each other, basically. And then you tap. And tapping is just when you submit to someone, you tap. It's called tapping. You either tap them with your hand or you say tap. And it's like saying checkmate, you know, or, but but you're giving up your king. And that's when you actually get really good is when you learn how to tap and tap often. If you can let your ego get out of the way of it, you know, it's uh it's an amazing thing. And um and I like that. Um, you know, that's my, my biggest problem is I don't like tapping to people I don't know and you know, and so I don't roll a lot with guys. I don't it's my ego gets in the way. My ego, but um, but it's just so cool. Like imagine if you were able to go out and, and surf like big waves and just and have that fear, but the adrenaline, but also the love, you know, just it's man, it's there's nothing like when you're finished a jujitsu match and you hug your opponent and you're just like you just love, you know, you just feel really like, man, we just connected souls in a way, you know, and um it's cool. Um the second part of it is um in terms of fighting and self defense, um the uh you you hear this phrase every fight starts on its feet, a start on your feet but almost every fight especially among amateur fighters or bar fights street fights something like that almost always end up on the ground um if you're a smaller person and you're being raped or you're being attacked you are almost certainly going to end up on your back with someone on top of you um it's why in, you know, now I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, you know, the three guys and they're, you know, attack you in a ball, in an alleyway and, you know, which striking art or, you know, there's go to Jocko Willink's po 
podcast, Jocko podcast, listen to his discussions about grappling and jujitsu and, and why, you know, the number one self-defense weapon that you have are your feet, use them, run, run as hard and as fast and scream as loud as you can and get out of there. Um, but if you get caught and you can't run, then that means you're stuck. You're in close proximity with someone and round kick to the head or some magic Krav Maga eye poke isn't going to work. You, you, you've got a bigger person and they're going to, they're going to get you on the ground or they're going to, they're going to get you in a place, a confined place where you can't run. Then you need to be able to grapple, to unstick yourself, to be able to, you know, protect yourself in close quarters, in close hand to hand, um, fighting. And, um, interestingly, the, the most dangerous position, one of the most dangerous offensive positions for, um, a jujitsu practitioner is what's called guard. If you've got someone in your closed guard, you can do a lot of damage to them if you know what you're doing and you can protect yourself. Interestingly, it is the position that someone would need to be in if they were going to rape you. Um, so they, but of course they'd have to get their clothes off, get your, you know, all this, but if you've got your hips above their hips and your legs are wrapped around their waist and you've got, you know, and you know what you're doing, you can, you can put them to sleep. You can kill them. You can break their arms. You can do all kinds of stuff. Um, so from a self-defense standpoint, jujitsu's absolutely should be one of your first go-to arts to learn because it is, um, it's effective. And it is universal, and there are just a lot of great aspects to it. Third, and this is what I love about it, is um, jiu-jitsu in its practice has taken out all the dangerous. You you cannot stand, and we can't sit here and be like, let's trade back and forth. Let's drill um, throat punches. Um, you, you can't do that at full speed with effect. You do it once, and the guy goes to the hospital, or it doesn't work, you know. Um, you can't eye gouge for, you know, let's do 10 reps each eye gouges, you know, that doesn't work. So you don't do it. So you don't know what it's like on a slippery floor or in grass, or if you get hit from behind or what, you know, so you can't practice that over and over again and get real comfortable with it. Jiu-jitsu takes away the 10% on each side of the spectrum of the dangerous moves when you're first training. Um, the takedowns and things like that are not, are not part of it. You just start on your knees and you can go full force. Now, you, you, as you get better, you learn that that's not necessarily helpful, but you can go full force with somebody and try as hard as you can and spaz out as hard as you want and, and, and see what's effective and, and you're not going to get hurt unless you're just completely trying to hurt somebody or you don't know you're not listening, you can go hard and a hundred percent with a move. You can, you know, you can choke somebody and they, and as long as you recognize they're going to tap or you tap, then, then you're not going to get hurt. Um, you know, if you're, if you do like, Hey, let's, let's see roundhouse kick to the face that you just can't practice that. You cannot practice that at full speed without taking a lot of damage. And that's why fighters, you know, when fighters go in the cage to fight, they're roundhouse kicking each other to the face, sure. And they're kicking and they're punching. But but if you notice, like, they're always nursing a multitude of injuries. No legitimate high-level fighter has ever walked in the ring injury-free. They're 
all nursing some kind of injury because at that level, you have to spar at a high, a high degree of intensity. And that's why the older fighters can't do it as much. They have to limit it. But, but when you're a young or a novice Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, you can, you can train full speed. So you go like, okay, let's start with like, I've knocked you down and I'm in your guard, go, you know, and you know what to do. And it, it gives you, it gives you comfort that if you're in a bar and a guy's like puts his hands on you, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go to my flying three finger death punch, you know, move, or I'm going to do my spinning round kick and, you know, that works when they're bar stools and other people around. No. It's like, I know exactly what this is because we do it every single day. We spar. And you're like, you know, I'm going to get my overhook here, my underhook here. I'm going to, you know, put my forehead in his chin. We're going to go to the ground and and uh, and then I'm going to go to work. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. But there's this like, there's this other aspect of it, like that flow that um, the, I don't even know how to pronounce their names. But there's a There's a great book called Flow, which is about psychological and physical states where you get into this mastery state of, it's called being in the zone by others, but it's just, you're just flowing. Um, and you feel that when you're, when you're doing jujitsu, it's, it's remarkable. Um, so it, it's super cool. There are a lot of people in the jujitsu world who are sober too. Some for athletic reasons, like, Hey, you know, I don't drink. I don't, they watch what they put in their body, but there are a lot of people in recovery who are into jujitsu because of the culture and the similarities. Um, you know, the, the anarchy, the idea of like, there's no real, like, I mean, we have masters or professors or whatever, but the, but it's, it's so much more like a meeting than not, you know, it's, it's about the community and the culture and there are very few rules and all that. And so I'm telling you, if you're interested in, and you do not, please do not fall trap. Oh, I'll do that when I get in shape. If you're overweight and you can't freaking run around the block, go do jujitsu. It will get you in shape. You do not have to be a triathlete or a championship. Don't, don't, do not fall to that. That's like saying, you know what? I'll go to AA um, once I've got 90 days of sobriety or something. It's like make the commitment to be sober and go to AA. Make the commitment to go to jujitsu and just go and you're going to get shredded because it's so good for you. Believe me. All right. One thing I do want to also say is that it's interesting. I've, I've been in one real fight since I started training jujitsu and I'd done martial arts of different kinds before, but you know, um, you know, the thing is, is once you train and once you're sober, man, you don't, you don't get into fights. You, you're, you're so much more situationally aware. You're not walking around and doing stupid stuff. And, um, so it's just, it's, 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 but I have been, I have been in a fight. Um, and it was, you know, I'm probably the subject of another podcast, but it, um, I, I'm not super proud of it because uh, I think that, you know, I, I probably could have avoided it. Um, I let my ego, I didn't start it and I didn't, and, and, and most people would tell you that the guy got what it was coming. It was a bully, did some things that were just abhorrent, but I could have walked away and just taken it and left and I didn't. And, um, you know, the guy, guy was 
he was he should have like Leonidas says you should have chosen your words wisely he he followed me out in a parking lot when I tried to leave for the fifth time or whatever and um he insulted somebody very close to me at the time uh at the time it was my wife and uh very vulgar and uh you know I told him to leave us alone and you know so we we got it on and um he apparently did not have the fighting or martial skills that his mouth would lead you to believe and his his broken arm uh was proof of it anyway um but i'm not proud of any of the parts of that thing but anyway i would tell you study jiu-jitsu it's really good next up angels higher power do you really believe absolutely did I believe before? You know, my brother, who's a um, surgeon uh, and a really amazing guy and uh, very, very bright and super cool. I may have him on the podcast at some point. Um, but he's not in the program and he's not sober. Um, he, not that he needs to be or whatever, but um, so that may be one of the limiting factors uh, for me to have somebody on the program, uh, on the podcast. Um, but he asked me, you know, a number of years ago, we were talking about Jesus and God, and, and he said, you know, do you really believe? Like, do you really believe like that? And and I had to, um, uh, you know, I said, um, I don't know. You know, and I really realized, like, I didn't know. I didn't believe. Um, and and I, I just... I didn't have a connection to my higher power. And um, and I will go through my instances of where I actually know that, you know, I was deprived of a lot of things. I was given I was given blessings and, 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 and fortune in this life that most people will never get close to. I was given advantages that most people will never get close to. Some of them just God-given, my looks, my talent, my charm, whatever you want to call it, my intellect, whatever. Um, some of it family, you know, support, financial, things like that. But I was also deprived of, of some basic things that no one should be deprived of. And, and yet, I do have to say that God always found a way to make sure I had what I needed. You know, the, God always made sure there was something. There was there was a stand-in. You know, there was a there was a substitute. There was a there was something there. You know, might not have been like the best meal you needed, but you weren't starving. Um, and uh, and so I've I've really looked back on that a lot now, and I'm just so I'm just so in love with with the program and my higher power, because I know, I know that the program gave me that conscious contact with God that, that, that I was not able to see or hear, you know, uh, and now I see, and now I hear, and God sent angels and to, to help me. And some of them are just like, yeah, whatever. It's just your best friend. And some of them are like, no, man, that is real. That stuff is, that is not explainable otherwise. I mean, just to me, you know, and so I don't know. I don't want to turn people off by being all, you know, I'm not going Jerry Falwell on you or anything. But by the same token, why do we need to shit on people who believe in God? You know, why do we need to trash on people who 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 have that faith? 
you know, oh, it's a faith-based program, like somehow that's bad. I mean, I don't think that's true. I don't think AA requires any faith or belief or a conviction of things unseen or anything like that. I think it helps. I think it's easier to get sober if you believe in God. You know, I think it's harder if you don't, if you can't, you can't, you know, accept things or whatever. It's going to be harder, but hey, whatever. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. We can all do it, you know, but I just don't know why. I would never trash on somebody who said, I don't believe in God. I would never be like, well, you suck or you're, you're a bad person. I think in today's society, it's more hip and more socially acceptable to be an atheist than it is to be religious or to be a person of faith, at least in the circles that I run in. And I think that's a shame because I think no one should be, you know, as long as you're not blowing up a building or hurting someone or trashing on gossiping about somebody because of their faith or because they don't have a faith, then do man, do what, do what, do what works. And I'll tell you what works for me is this thing called a higher power saved my damn life, you know, and made my life beautiful and made my life worth living. So, um, you know, yeah. Angels, higher power. Do I believe? Yes. hundred percent. Next up, favorite dish, man. I, you know, since I became a bachelor again, um, I've gone to like cooking, like I, I, I always like to cook. Now my brother is a foodie and he's a cook. Like he's, cause he's a surgeon. He gets all crazy about like, he'll do the, he'll do like candied arches and things above your food. And he'll, you know, he's real extravagant and he's also very arrogant with it. In my opinion, love you, man. But Hey, you are, um, you know, he'll pith, he'll hand pith the lobster and make, and then grind its shell into the bisque and all. And I'm a little bit like, come on, man, you know. Um, but I do love to cook and becoming a bachelor, like I've done, I do a lot of one dish wonders, meaning like I use one dish. And, uh, back when I was a bachelor up in, um, Washington, D.C., in the beginning of my career, um, I didn't even have an oven in my little, I had this apartment. I, I won't go too far. It was super cool. It was handed down from bachelor to bachelor in Georgetown. And it was like, you had to be kind of in the know and one of the, you know, and, and, you know, it was, it was, I mean, most people be like, are you kidding me? There's nothing proud about that. But I was the guy that was next on the list and I got it and it didn't have an oven. It had like a, you know, one of those mini fridges and like a burner, but I got, I got a, uh, a, 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 a smoker, like a cut, like a small miniature grill outside. And man, I will tell you what, I learned how to cook a lot of things on that. <laughs> and I would get like these artisanal chicken or something or whatever. And I would, I would, you know, uh, stuff it with couscous and dried fruits and things like that so that, you know, it would cook within there with the juices and all. And then, you know, my date would come over and I'd be like, Oh, look, I've got a side dish and starch and some protein. And, you know, um, so I, I do that. So what's my favorite dish? Well, um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of them, but I, I've got a dish that it's called chicken a la snake. And, uh, let me just say to my listeners, no snakes are hurt involved in the pre preparation of the dish and no snakes are harmed. But, um, and that's another story of why the name, what the name is. Uh, it's a great story. Funny. At least I think it is. But, um, what I do is you take four chicken breasts, 
skin on bone in. So those split chicken breasts, make sure it's got the skin because oh, that's a good part. You take it and you put it on, you put it in your dish. Um, and what you do is you, you take a, um, you're going to need, you're going to need uh, a can of sliced peaches with the good sauce, you know, the, the syrup or whatever. Don't go for like in water or any of that nonsense. You want the good syrup, right? And you're going to need lemons and you're going to need some Texas peat or crystal or Frank's or whatever kind you like. Maybe a little old bay, maybe some chili powder, a little bit, you know, I don't, it's up to you. Um, and so then what you do is you take those, take those, those, uh, those guys and you put them in the, you put, you put the chickens in the, in the Pyrex dish. And then you take out the the, sir, the 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 peaches and you coat the 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 chicken with the peaches and the juice, you know the saw the syrup. Um, then you take a uh, you take a lemon and you take like maybe two lemons and you have them. You squeeze all that fresh lemon juice on them. Then um, I put the lemon halves and maybe you know put lemons in there with it with the peaches. Um, cause you got the peaches are around the chicken now at this point, you take, you take a can, a, a jar of apricot preserves. Yeah. You, you see where I'm going with this and you take a dollop for each chicken breast and put it on there. Just put it like a golf, like half a golf ball or half a lemon, like sitting up there on it. Then you coat that whole thing with Texas Pete, a little Texas Pedro, man, put that put that stuff on there, or so or soft. Don't use Tabasco; it's too hot and too too much. You need a you need a milder hot sauce. Um, then, but make sure you don't put so much so fast that like the the apricot slides off the chicken. That's a that's a a, a known complication uh, of of the preparation of this dish. You want that apricot on there, and then you want it coated in that kind of red sauce. Then you can then put on a little bit of like chili powder, put a stripe on each one of those breasts like that. Um, man, you put that in the oven at about 425 for um, 45 minutes or so. Then, because you want it to be kind of, kind of crispy, you know. And then you, and then um, you do do like get you some nor or some store bought dried risotto now. I love risotto. I'm a very good risotto chef, um, and I love the original preparation. I mean, back in the day, I used to use champagne or whatever. I don't do that now because I don't drink. Um, but but so when I say this about risotto, you know, like nor dried risotto, you know, out of a box, people are gonna freak out on me. But don't freak out on me. You're eating a dish called chicken a la snake. Okay, come on. Enough with the eyebrow. This isn't my brother with his, you know candy souffles and all that stuff this is like legit comfort food so you put that little nor risotto on your on your oven and you cook it right around the same time that you're cooking your 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 chicken a la snake they come out man you know what go ahead and throw on like you know what what what, what are we putting on tonight on the on the screen you know maybe uh uh notorious Woo! ingrid bergman Cary grant oh god Dog, is that a good one? Um, maybe go thirty nine steps. Remember we talked about that stasis intrusion launch. Um, go a little more modern, you know, like um, you know uh, Miller's Crossing or something, or uh, 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 Heaven Can Wait, or um, I mean, you don't want to go too dark, like The Deer Hunter or uh, uh, <laughs> Raging Bull. I mean, no, it's just I mean those are those are events unto themselves, but. 
You're throwing something that's just going to make you fired up to watch it. Oh, dangerous liaisons. Damn right. Then take you take your chicken, you take take a big scoop of that risotto, and you put a little, put a little like a little little divot in the top of it, and then pour some of that snake sauce from the from the chickens. Woo! Put that in the center of that, and I mean, you are you maybe sprinkle a little parmesan on top of the risotto. Well, I just hooked you up. You know, a little get a Topo Chico or some type of Saratoga sparkling water because it's got a little bite to it. You know, a little extra. Mm, well, I'm getting hungry thinking about that. Chicken all snake favorite dish. Um, I, you know what? Let's let's wrap up with that. Let's wrap up with that. I had something. You know, on the plane the other day, some guy told me that I exude bitterness. Um, and uh, and you know what? I'm not exuding a damn bit of bitterness tonight. I'm in love with life. I'm in love with my life. I'm in love with my kids and my job and sobriety and serenity. You know. I know y'all heard me the other night when I was struggling with some stuff, you know, but I, I, what is it? Play up, play up and play the game. That's what I've been doing. So, so people, I love you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Um, it's just been a beautiful, a beautiful experience for me. We got 10 episodes in. How about that now? Um, so let me say this. Um, I'm going to read you one of my favorite poems. It doesn't necessarily fit in with these topics, but we're talking favorites and Q&A. And it's called Tommy by Rudyard Kipling. I may throw in a few English accents here and there, but don't judge me if my cockney's not good. I went into a public house to get a pint of beer. The publican, he up and says, we serve no redcoats here. The girls behind the bar, they laughed and giggled fit to die. I outs into the street again, and, and to myself, says I, Oh, it's Tommy this, and it's Tommy that, and it's Tommy go away. But it's thank you, Mr. Atkins, when the band begins to play. The band begins to play, my boys, the band begins to play. Oh, it's thank you, Mr. Atkins, when the band begins to play. I went into a theater, as sober as could be. They gave us drunk civilian room, but adding none for me. They sent me to the gallery, or round the music halls. But when it comes to fighting, Lord, they shove me in the stalls. For it's Tommy this, and it's Tommy that, and it's Tommy wait outside. But it's special train for Adkins when the trooper's on the tide. The troop ship's on the tide, my boys, the troop ship's on the tide. Oh, it's special train for Adkins when the troops are on the tide. Yes, making mocker uniforms that guard you while you sleep is cheaper than, than them uniforms, and they're starvation cheap. And hustling drunken soldiers when they're going large a bit is five times better business than parading in full kit. Then it's Tommy this and Tommy that and Tommy how's your soul. But it's thin red line of heroes when the drums begin to roll. The drums begin to roll, my boys. The drums begin to roll. Oh, it's thin red line of heroes when the drums begin to roll. We aren't no thin red heroes, nor we aren't no blackguards too. But single men in barracks, most remarkable like you. And if sometimes our conduct isn't all your fancy paints, why single men in barracks don't grow into plaster saints. While it's Tommy this and Tommy that and Tommy fall behind, but it's please walk in front, sir, when there's trouble in the wind. But there's trouble in the wind, my boys, there's trouble in the wind. Oh, it's please walk to the front. <laughs> to, to walk in front, sir, when there's trouble in the wind. You talk of better food for us in schools and fires and all. Well, we'll wait for extra rations if you treat us rational. 
Don't mess about the cookroom slops, but prove it to our face. The widow's uniform is not the soldier man's disgrace. For it's Tommy this and it's Tommy that, and chuck him out, the brute. But it's savior of his country when the guns begin to shoot. And it's Tommy this and Tommy that and anything you please. And Tommy ain't a bloomin' fool, you bet that Tommy sees. And I, as you know, Tommy Adkins was the general name for, you know, what they say, like we say G.I. Joe or we say, you know, uh, different different phrases. Uh, but Tommy was the, the, the soldier in Victorian era England. And there's a great book called Thin Red Line uh, by uh, Jim Jones. James Jones, I believe, was his name. Uh, not the Jim Jones of Guyana fame, but or infamy. But uh, Jim, I think it's James Jones, the writer, and he wrote the the book Thin Red Lines by the bottle bottle of Guadalcanal. Um, and they made it into a major motion picture, but um, the book is quite good. Um, and he quotes Tommy in the beginning of it. And I remember reading it and being like, I got to get that poem. And I just love that where he's, you know, it's all this, you know, Tommy, Tommy, we're kicking out the door, but it's Mr. Adkins when the, when the drums are rolling and it's time for war, we're, we're bringing Mr. Oh, it's Mr. Adkins, you know, think about that, you know, and think about that when we talk about people in recovery and how we treat other people. So, um, it's been a great podcast and I really appreciate everybody allowing me to share my stories and, and answer questions. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle the situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, tonight, if it be your will, please help those who are sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms. Please give people who are not familiar with our program a better understanding of, of what we're going through and what we're trying to accomplish and the beauty of, of, of having a conscious contact with you, Lord. Please let us try to understand versus being understood. Let us always share our stories of experience, strength, and hope with a whole heart, a loving heart, and an open mind. Amen. Good evening.